Hey everyone, welcome back to the Type 1 Tribe podcast. This is your host, Samantha Farley. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in February of 2021, and today I am interviewing Lemma Brown. She is a dietitian that lives with type 1 diabetes herself, and she also has her own coaching practice for women who want to get pregnant that live with type 1 diabetes. She helps women with the pre-planning for getting pregnant with type 1 diabetes, of course, during the pregnancy, and also post-pregnancy when women are learning how to handle a new baby and, of course, also manage their diabetes. I ask Lemma lots and lots of questions about pregnancy with type 1 diabetes, the risks, what to expect, what we can manage, what we can do about it, what we can't control all of the above. So let's get into today's episode with Lemma. So my name is Lemma. I, um, I'm a registered dietitian and I'm also a diabetes coach and I work mostly with women who are playing or, or women, people who are planning for pregnancy, who have type one diabetes and people who are currently pregnant or maybe are new to parenthood um, with pregnancy and balancing the two, because that can be really challenging. I also work on occasion, work on, on occasion with people who also have gestational diabetes as well. And I live in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I currently, I have two kids and I'm married. So juggling all of that has been really interesting. <laughs> and I love to do a lot of things for fun. I feel like I don't get to do them very often. <laughs> balancing everything. But if, if I have, if I have time and I have a window, I usually choose to do something active outside. I love to bike and run. And my husband and I occasionally go rock climbing. We used to go a lot. <laughs> we don't go as much now, but we try our best to still get out in the winter and ski and hike. And, you know, just, we live in a wonderful area for um, outdoor activity. So that at least makes it easy. And we try to encourage our kids to come with us. And that's been really fun. It's also been a little bit humbling because like we can't go as far with them or hike as far but it's really fun to see the outdoors through their eyes and it's it's been really motivating and encouraging and we've been enjoying it how many kids do you have I have two what are their ages my daughter is four and my son is 20 months so he's almost two. Oh, that's so great that's great that they're gonna be like close in age too yeah yeah and they get along really well it's super sweet I wasn't sure and they're a boy and a girl and I grew up with a sister so I wasn't sure how how they would get along but they get along so well and it's really sweet that's adorable (laughs) I love it and you have type 1 diabetes yourself I do yes were you diagnosed I was diagnosed at 19. So I feel like I was diagnosed a little bit older in life and I've had it, I've had it for almost 20 years. Um, but I was diagnosed, I wasn't a child when I was diagnosed, which I know people are diagnosed at all different ages, but I feel like at the time for me, that was kind of different. Can you tell us about your diagnosis story? Yeah, I feel like it was different because I was misdiagnosed a couple of times. 
because I was older, um, I, I kept going to the doctor and they kept diagnosing me with other autoimmune issues. Like, uh, I also have thyroid disease and I also have some, some issues with celiac as well. And I feel like every time I would see someone, it's like, I feel like we're missing the mark though. Like I'm still sick is the problem. And eventually I was able to see a doctor, a specialist, an endocrinologist who figured it out. And he, and he finally checked my blood sugar and checked everything he needed to check. And he's like, you have type one diabetes. And I, I had had it for months and it just was getting worse and worse. I was in college trying to balance my course load and, and be social and have friends. And I just couldn't, I couldn't even get out of bed. I just was like, totally um, had no energy and I felt so sick. And I was so fortunate to find this doctor to help me and get sort of get me like back on track a little bit and help me figure things out. But it was really daunting in college, like all of these new autoimmune conditions. And also I felt like I didn't have a lot of resources other than my physician. And it was really tough, honestly. And I, I've talked to other people, they've had similar stories to mine. I can't imagine being in college because you're, that's like a time when you're just trying to figure out life in general. And then you throw that into the mix. <laughs> that right. is crazy. Yeah, it really was. I ended up taking the rest of the semester off. I was a second, it was second semester of my freshman year and I'm glad I did. And I just withdrew and I was like, I just need to go home and figure my life out and take summer classes and catch back up. I'm so glad I did, but coming back the following year and figuring out eating and figuring out, you know, taking my medicine and also just be like you said, being a new college student and wanting to, you know, experience college things was really tough. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And then I'm curious, just because you mentioned the other diseases. So when you say thyroid disease, do you mean like a hypo or hyperthyroidism or what do you, what do you mean by that? Yes. I was originally diagnosed with Graves disease and my thyroid gland was hyperactive. So it was overproducing thyroid hormone. And I ended up, I didn't have it removed, but I ended up um, taking radioactive iodine treatment, which essentially kills your thyroid gland. So it's not producing as much as it was. And now I, now I guess I have hypothyroidism because now I take a thyroid hormone to replace what my thyroid gland doesn't produce anymore. I also have hypothyroidism. So you were, okay. So you were diagnosed with that first. Yes. How, what age were you when you were diagnosed with that? That I was diagnosed with that at 19 as well. It, I felt like it, I was throughout my like first year of college, I was like going to doctor's appointments, trying to figure out why I was sick. <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy. And then you were also diagnosed with celiac? Yes, I was because I was still, I was dealing with GI issues as well. And I was like, is this part of the thyroid disease? And they're like, not typically. So I feel like I was just kind of being bounced around to different doctors. Fortunately, I lived close to a big medical system and I was able to get the care that I needed, but it was so frustrating and I still didn't feel better. It was like, well, I feel like by figuring some of this out, I should feel different. I should feel better. And that was, that was really frustrating. So do you still follow a, like a gluten-free diet? I do. I've found in getting, you know, my thyroid, um, my thyroid more managed and my diabetes more managed. I have actually figured out that I can be a little bit looser, which it probably doesn't really make sense, but I have found that, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's not as severe as I originally thought when I was diagnosed, um, early on. This is so interesting just because I just went through the same thing this past summer. I 
like was having all these weird reactions, ironically, not GI, but just, I would get like rashes and I couldn't figure out why. And they thought it was celiac. Um, it ended up not getting like fully diagnosed with celiac, but I have a sensitivity. So I just have cut it out, but it's yeah. crazy how all the autoimmune diseases like work together. Like you get one and then they all just come. <laughs> I know it really is. That's how, that's exactly how I feel too. And that's how I felt. And yes, I have more of a sensitivity as well. And it is crazy how it's all connected. Yeah, I, it can yeah. be. Well, I'm sorry that that all happened to you like in a one year period. <laughs> I know, I know. To thinking back on it is like, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like I never really recovered from all of that, just all of that stuff that happened. Yeah. So tell us about your coaching practice. Yeah. So my coaching practice, I originally started a few years ago, just wanting to work with people who had diabetes in general, which I did do. And I loved, but I was happened to be talking to some, another dietitian in the same space. And I was like, you know what I really would love to do. And I was, I was uh, planning for my second pregnancy and I was remembering how my first pregnancy was so it just was really stressful and harder than I felt like it needed to be. And I was thinking, you know, you know what I'd really love to do? I would love to coach women who are, or women, people who are thinking about you know, becoming pregnant with type one diabetes or who are currently pregnant, because I know from first, my firsthand experience that this journey is like rocky and can be really tough. And I really wish I could go back and enjoy my pregnancy a little bit more and trust myself more and maybe push back a little bit more too sometimes like on recommendations I'd received from my doctors or suggestions, or sometimes I felt pushed around a little bit. And in my second pregnancy, it's like, I have so much more knowledge now. I know it's coming. I know what to consider. And I felt like there must be a gap because I, there must be a gap. Other people must feel this too. So then I decided to switch gears and just go into at first more the pregnancy part, um, because I knew there were other people out there like me who are maybe wanting a little bit more support information that's specific for type one diabetes, because usually when we look up information, we only find gestational, which is okay. There's many more people who have gestational diabetes, but it's not specific to type one. And we kind of have to read between the lines and do the best we can with it. And I felt like we could do better. I was like, I feel like I can do better. I feel like people probably want this. And I've, I've come to find out that they definitely do. <laughs> yes. And I know I've reached out to you privately about it already. Yeah. Um, so definitely. Because of what you just said. I've talked to my doctors about it and I feel everything they say is very, I want to say wishy-washy. That's not maybe the right word, but like, they're like, well, maybe. And I'm like, well, I just need a yes or no. <laughs> I'm yeah. so confused. And they're all like, well, you could, but you also couldn't. And so I'm like, okay, so that's good. I love that you do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And I remember talking to my doctor too, and she was supportive, but she basically only gave me a little bit of information. Like, well, you need to make sure your A1C is within this specific range. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, well, my A1C has never been that low. So I don't know how I'm going to do that. And then the second thing I thought was like, well, how am I going to get there? Like, I have never been able to do this on my own. Mm -hmm. Who can I talk to about this? And she literally had no information to offer me. And I felt that made me feel unsupported, but also lonely. And also, and also it made me feel like, am I, can I even do this? Because I don't know, I don't know what to do next. So that's when I wanted to offer people to not, I didn't want them to feel like it's something they can't do. It's something that they have to do on their own. It is easier than they think. And I feel like many of my clients definitely feel that way. They feel after we work together, they feel more confident. They feel much more informed, 
um, they feel better on their journey, which is what I want. I want people to feel good because it's really a cool journey. I mean, pregnancy is not all fun and games, but there sure are some fun parts of it. And I want, really would like people to enjoy it more. That's great. So were you on a pump on your pregnancies? Yes, I was. I was on a pump both pregnancies and on my first and during my first pregnancy, I didn't have a CGM or anything thinking back. I was like, how did I check my blood sugar that much? (laughs) My fingers were probably like totally scarred. (laughs) What pump were you on? I was using a Medtronic mini med. I think I had a 630 G maybe. And I actually used that during my second pregnancy as well, but I was also using a Dexcom. Um, I considered switching to a different pump during pregnancy, but I honestly was so comfortable with the pump system I was using and the CGM and just making it work that I didn't want to switch to anything new during pregnancy my second time. So I decided to wait and I just stuck with the CGM, which I thought was so helpful the second time around in my same pump. And it worked out just fine for me. And then I switched about a year ago to the tandem T-Slim and I still have the Dexcom. So I'm curious because I'm on MDI and when I talk to the doctors, they all say I should switch to a pump. I ideally don't really want to, like just for my own sake, I don't really want to. So like, what is your opinion on going on a pump for pregnancy? Yeah, it's completely up to you. I've, I've definitely worked with people who are using all different, all, all different systems of management. And it, I think it's definitely up to your, your comfort because my, my doctors were really pushing me like, you should switch to the tandem, the best, the best technology for pregnancy. And I was like, whoa, starting something new during pregnancy scares me. I don't want to do that. I want to do what I feel comfortable with and I know and can manage well. So I think it's completely up to you. I think there's a lot of advantages to using a pump, but again, I'm not for making people switch to things they don't feel comfortable with. So if the system you're using works well for you, you can absolutely make it work well during pregnancy. Like I said, I did finger sticks my first pregnancy. <laughs> and it worked fine. I mean, it worked fine. So it can make anything work um, the best possible. MDI, MDI is a great system. And we also have some additional support with MDI to make, to also make it a little bit easier too. So pumps are not the end all be all. They, they are nice for a lot of things, but they're not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what is like the typical range you're supposed to stay in when, well, I guess e- First, what is like your typical A1C you need to be before pregnancy? And then like, while you're pregnant, what's the range you should stay in? Yeah, I think the typical, the typical A1C that most physicians, endocrinologists might have a different number compared to an OB, an OBGYN or an MFM or a maternal fetal medicine specialist may encourage a lower A1C before becoming pregnant. Mm -hmm. They might encourage an A1C of 6.5 or less, which is the typical recommendation for A1C. But some endocrinologists are feel satisfied with an A1C below seven. Um, Many of them will will stick with the 6.5 or less, but some may actually be okay with seven or less. It totally depends on your physician and their comfort level and your history and working with them. So everyone's going to have a different recommendation. And the ranges during pregnancy, they change a little bit um, sometimes, but I think they're still um, have, have to have a fasting blood sugar of 90 or 95 or less. Um, and then after eating one hour after eating, having a blood sugar number of 120 or less, no, I'm sorry, 140 or less. And then two hours after eating, having a blood sugar number of 120 or less, which is very, very strict. I feel like, and most people feel this way. 
Well, it makes me laugh because I'm like, okay, I can try. Like, it's just, it, yeah. how do you, especially for fasting, that one gets me because I never seem like I wake up above yeah. 90 all the time. So I'm like, how yeah. do I do that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel like the fasting numbers for me during pregnancy were the toughest and were always the thing I was working on and focusing on what, what did I eat before bed? You know, what, you know, how was my sleep? How much water did I drink? How much exercise was I doing? Like everything can affect it. And I feel like that was the thing I was tweaking the most, the fasting blood sugar number. But certainly now that I'm not pregnant, I feel like hardly ever see that number. Um, it's very challenging. And then, yes, you're right with the, the blood sugar numbers during pregnancy. I felt the same way when I heard them. I kind of laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? That's like, straight like that's like no difference like are am I not supposed to eat like are you kidding <laughs> am I supposed to cut out foods like no carbs like how am I gonna do that but something else to consider and this is often left out the fine print I feel like and most doctors will be really good about sharing this those blood sugar ranges their typical recommendation from I believe um this is written in the most recent I think diabetes care report from the American Diabetes Association is to stick with these numbers as often as you can or 70% or greater. So not a hundred percent. So not a hundred percent. We're not going to see these numbers all the time for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember because I think when we hear those numbers, we think all the time, 100% all or nothing, but really it's, you know, blood sugar is going to be up and down and things are going to happen and that's okay. We're, we're aiming for 70% or greater. And I, I think that feels more achievable. Definitely. Cause I can't imagine like if, you know, I eat something and I accidentally go to 200, I would be freaking out, like just trying to do everything possible to get it down, which I guess is a good thing, but I don't want to be freaking out about that number. It went exactly. Exactly. Things happen. Yeah. We miss boluses, you know, we misjudge carbohydrates, you know, we're not activity affects us a different way. Like we're human, we're human. And I think that's one of the biggest things and probably the biggest piece of advice I would give someone who is pregnant with type one diabetes or something to remember is to give yourself lots of grace because you're working so hard. You are taking care of this baby the best you can already inside your body. It's a lot of pressure. It's, it's a lot of work and it's tiring and we are human and we, we make mistakes intentionally or not, or, you know, there are a lot of things out of our control, like pregnancy hormones, you know, sometimes we can't control our sleep, um, with pregnancy because it's hard to get comfortable. We have hormones surging in our bodies that don't allow us to sleep. We're doing the best we can. Many of us have other things going on like work and maybe other kids and family and friends. How do you balance all of it? So absolutely considering that you are putting in the most amount of effort you can, and things are just not always going to fall the way that you want, but that doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job. Is there a trimester that you would say is like more tough than the others? Yes, I would say that about the middle to end of the second and most of the third trimester typically are the toughest during pregnancy because that's usually where insulin resistance kicks in. Pregnancy hormones are surging. Baby is growing. A lot of things are happening. Good things, normal things, but it tends to those hormones that are naturally occurring during pregnancy and they're at a very high, high amount tend to really combat with the work that insulin does. And we find that we have to take more. We might have to adjust what we're eating, how we're eating, the times that we're eating. Um, I feel like that's definitely the toughest time and can, can be the most frustrating living with type one diabetes. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And then I, I have another question about traveling. So, cause I know we're technically considered high risk pregnancies. Yeah. Are you allowed to travel during that nine months or what's like the, what does that look like? Yeah, I feel like it. I feel like you, I feel like you are absolutely. I wasn't restricted. I think I was restricted with travel towards the end of pregnancy, like maybe after week 34, possibly every doctor is going to feel differently about traveling by plane, by car. Usually the recommendation is to, because sometimes pregnant women can be at risk for, um, uh, vascular issues or potentially blood clots, like with flying. Mm -hmm. So certainly having a plan of getting up and moving around, um, if needed, if, if, if traveling later in pregnancy, um, I wasn't restricted before that point, but of course everyone's health conditions will probably be a little bit different and they might have different restrictions put on, put on them by their medical team. But no, even with a high-risk pregnancy diagnosis, I feel like I wasn't restricted, um, until the end of pregnancy where they were just suggestive of not, not traveling too far away in case baby decides to, to come a little, maybe a little early. Okay. That's good. I didn't know if it was just because they're like, you never know when you're going to need to come in, like, you know, just for health reasons. So, I, cause I was reading about it and it said like, do not travel by road or plane. I'm like, by road. So like, I'm, like, I'm stuck in a location for nine months. I know exactly. I know I, when I, I had asked some clarification on that. Cause we had a fan, like a planned trip, you know, towards the, I think the middle of pregnancy and the suggestions I were given, like, oh, it's, it's just plan to get up. You know, if you're going on a long trip, plan to get out of the car and move around and stretch your legs. You can sometimes feel stiff and, um, they, they do like for you to make your appointments most of the time, but my office was also flexible. Cause like I said, in both pregnancies, I had planned travel and I think I missed an appointment both times. Um, especially towards the end of pregnancy, you have quite a few appointments, potentially weekly, potentially multiple appointments in a week. And honestly, I couldn't make them all because I just had other things going on in my office because I was fairly stable and my visits were pretty smooth. They're like, it's okay. If you have to miss, I don't know if every office will feel that way, but mine was pretty flexible, which was nice. Oh, that's, that is very nice to hear. I'm glad you yeah. <laughs> So what's like, like one main piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's looking to get pregnant that lives with type one diabetes? Yeah. I feel like someone who's looking to get pregnant. I certainly, um, I would do the best you can as far as researching type one diabetes and pregnancy ahead of time. There's actually more than when I was like looking into pregnancy, there's more specific information about type one and pregnancy available now online, which is great. Um, you could always consider working with someone like me as well. If you feel like as I have multiple coaching programs available. I have a group coaching program, which is so nice because you get to work with other women who have type one or they're very much in the same boat and have a lot of experience and also support to offer on their own. And then, or if you also have specific goals, maybe for your A1C or balancing your blood sugar curve, it might be helpful to work with someone like me because I remember feeling like I had to push my pregnancy plans a little bit because I just wasn't getting to my goals fast enough. Mm. So sometimes that can make the difference between, um, you know, your timeline with getting pregnant and again, like I said, I think it's important to, to make sure that you are being really gracious and graceful and giving, just being very forgiving with yourself because type one is such a difficult disease to manage. And I know that 
you're doing the best that everyone is doing the best that they can with it. But we have off days, you know, we have off days, off weeks, we have things that we, we can't necessarily control. So I often encourage like control what you can, but understand that there's factors that we just can, and we have to sort of let that go and do the best that we can with it, um, which is challenging. I think we want to be able to control as much as possible, but especially yeah. in pregnancy, it's just not going to be the case. Interesting. Yeah. And then I, I actually just thought of another question because I get this question all the time from just like friends that don't know a lot about type one, like what are the risks that your child will, and I'm sure this varies by, you know, everything, but like, what's the risk that your child will get type one diabetes? Yeah, that's such a good question. I feel like I get this question a lot too, and I don't have the specific information, but I feel like it's actually lower than it seems. It seems like oh, well, your child will definitely have type one, but that's not the case. I mean, certainly with, with us having type one, we may, we may potentially pass it down to our children, but it's not a definite, it's not a definite. Um, both of my, I haven't tested either of my children, but they, they both, neither of them have it or are showing symptoms of it, but certainly I was diagnosed much later in life. So it's something that could come up later and I'm always prepared for. I believe that the T1D exchange actually has some helpful support um, for this particular topic and actually has some testing options that are available if you were interested in testing your child at some point. But do know that testing isn't always foolproof either. Mm -hmm. it, it may show a result that actually doesn't come about. If they show that the child could test positive, it may not or vice versa. But I do think that it's actually lower than we think. And also people ask me like, well, what would you do if your child has type one? I was like, well, that would certainly be really challenging. And I've talked to a lot of mothers who have type one and also have type one children. I mean, talk about like <laughs> a lot of work. And also they're just like total saints for like all that they, all that they do and work on. But I also feel kind of like confident and at peace with it. Like, well, if my child had it, I feel like I'd be the best person to help them with it because my parents still struggle with supporting me. Like they still don't really, I was 19. So it was always on me and they don't really understand it completely. And I feel like I'm always educating them, but it doesn't really stick. And at least I know that I, I could totally support my children really well if they were to need my support with this. And so I do feel good about that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And my parents are the same way. So I totally get that. Um, and yeah, I think having a parent with type one would be life-changing, especially now with all the technology. I mean, it is what it is. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do think I talked to someone recently about type one diabetes, honestly, like at a restaurant, it was like spotting someone in the wild, like a type one, someone with type one in the wild. I was like, Oh, Hey, I see your pub. And he, and this person and I, we just met, but we were talking, we're like, gosh, isn't it so much better now with all the technology that's available? Um, as far as a new diagnosis, like we just remember, you know, when we were diagnosed and there just wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of information or support, but now it just feels like there's a lot more. And I was like, yes, at least there's that. It's not a super fun diagnosis whatsoever at any age at any time, but I feel like things are looking up and that's nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. How do people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your programs? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. This was, it was really nice chatting with you, Samantha. And if people want to get, get in contact with me, I'm on Instagram at type1diabetes.nutritionist. I also have a website, lemmabrownnutrition.com. And people can also email me at lemmabrown.rdn at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much.
Thank you. I really appreciate it. What an amazing episode with Lemma. She is so sweet and so nice. I can't imagine wanting to work with anyone else during a type 1 diabetes pregnancy. So make sure to check out her Instagram and her website to learn more about her coaching programs. Do you want a free gift on your diversary? A free gift from Type 1 Tribe. All you have to do is head over to type1tribe.com and enter your information in the pop-up. It will ask for your name, your email, and of course, your diversary date. Make sure to put your diversary and not your birthday, (laughs) your type 1 diabetes diversary. Head on over to type1tribe.com to win a free gift on your diversary. See you next week.